Hi, this is Jackie Bruton. I'm an author and teen relationship expert, and you are listening to the Relationship and Revenue Podcast with John Hewlin. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue podcast. I am your host, John Hewlin. So excited to have each and every one of you with us today. And as you heard from that introduction, I have the one and only Jackie Bruton with me. Jackie, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You bet. You bet. Thrilled to have you with us. Now, you mentioned in the intro that you are an author and you are a, an expert in the area of teenagers, which, oh my gosh, that just blows my mind because I still have teenagers. So <laughs> I am by no means an expert in anything related to teenagers. And this is somebody who spent a good portion of his early adult life in youth ministry. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't claim to be an expert when it comes to, to that at all. But if you would, Jackie, kind of take us back because you didn't start out as an author and this amazing expert when it comes to teenagers. So take us back a little bit and share as much as you're comfortable, comfortable with. How did you get your start into what you're doing and what led you to where you are today? Um, I'll try to make this brief because it's it's kind of a long story, but yeah, this is this is we what like I call, those kind of stories here. <laughs> this is what I call my second career. Okay. So um, I gra- I'm, grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Graduated from Furman University. Um, started out after college working for Procter and Gamble, okay. and um, in the entire time I was working for Procter and Gamble, I lived in a number of different cities. And every time I lived in a different city, I always participated in a mentoring program for youth because I always knew that corporate America wasn't why God put me on earth. You know, and I always <laughs> knew, you know, they say that you can tell what you're, what you're passionate about when you would do it for free. Yes. And so I knew that I would do stuff working with youth and, you know, for free, but I wouldn't work in corporate America for free. <laughs> right, right. So um, I, was when I left Procter & Gamble in 2001, I was a senior HR manager for the Southeast Sales Division, and I was living here in Atlanta. And I actually did not leave uh, corporate America to talk to teenagers every day about love, sex, and relationships. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I left to, um, to start an after-school program. And I knew that talking to them about their, their sexual choices would be a part of it, because one of the reasons that I wanted to leave was because I kept hearing over and over again from these young ladies about the regrets that they had, the young ladies that I was mentoring, the teenagers. And in most cases, the regrets had to do with sex. And so I kept saying, wow, these young ladies are way too young to have these kind of regrets. Maybe if somebody had told them what they were worth, maybe if someone had told them what they deserve, maybe they would have made some different choices. And then I said, well, why can't I be that somebody? And so I like to, I like to say that I decided it wasn't enough for me to be successful that I wanted to be significant. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm not saying you have to choose one or the other because I do believe you can be both. But what I tell the kids in the class is when you're successful, you add value to somebody else's life. I mean, when you're, when you're successful, you add value to your own life. Like you can buy a lot of stuff, accumulate a lot of things. 
But when you're significant, you add value to, to somebody else's life. So success, you add value to your own life. Significance, you add value to somebody else's life. And so I left to start an after-school program in the county where I live, north of Atlanta. And it was going to be a holistic after-school program, um, talking to teens about, teen girls about financial literacy, career planning, relationships would be a part of it. And um, I left October 1st of 2001. I went to a conference at Kennesaw State University on the 31st and met a woman who sent speakers into our schools to talk to kids in their health classes about their sexual decisions. And um, my original company was uh, a nonprofit. It was going to be breaking the cycle. I got a 501c3, got all of that. And um, that I never, I never, it never materialized because I started with this other nonprofit as a contractor, mm. speaking to teens and the rest is history. Wow. <clears throat> okay. So you started down that road. And you were helping primarily teen girls, correct? Right, right. Okay, so so you're working on that and you're going into these schools and you're talking to these young ladies. What led you to decide, I need to write a book? I mean, that very first book, the so Seven Secrets book that you have right behind you there. Right, so uh, my first book was Seven Secrets, Guys Will Never Tell You, A Teen Girl's Guide on Love, Sex, and Relationships. And, and let me just preface, I had a hard time calling myself a teen relationship expert because, you know, people throw the term expert around, you know, right. a lot. And so people had to encourage me to, like, claim that title just because of the fact that, like, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've received 17,000 letters from high school students. Wow. Like, I am in the classroom with them all the time. They say, you know us, you know how we think. And I was like, okay, so... What more does it take to be an expert <laughs> besides <laughs> 17,000 letters from high school students and, you know, speaking to hundreds of thousands and doing this for 20 years? And so one of the things that I think we were talking earlier about the fact that I do large assemblies, but I also do classroom presentations. And when I would do classroom presentations, I love the, inter the conversation with the students because it's a discussion. You know, an assembly is a presentation. Classroom is a discussion. And I kept hearing, like, the guys were so honest. They would, they would just say stuff that I'm in my head thinking, wow, I wish there was a video camera in here, and I wish every girl in the world could hear what these guys just said. And so after saying that for years, I finally decided, okay, I can't have that video camera, but what I can do is put what they're saying inside of a book. And so that was the first book that I wrote. And it's so funny because... Um, the guys, I, I was just reading this letter. I was going through some old letters. There's a reading letter this morning. And I was, one of the guys was talking about thing, how they thought about girls. And I said, you know what? As a matter of fact, I'm writing a book called Seven Secrets. The other guys were like, man, shut up. Stop telling her. We're never going to get any dates if you keep talking. <laughs> she's putting this in a book. And I was like, well, you know, the book's already like at the printer. So you don't have to worry about that. I have enough secrets already. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. And so, and how has that particular book been received by females? You know, it, it has been widely received. And it's funny because uh, I got an Instagram message yesterday from a young lady, an eighth grade girl who was in my class two weeks ago. And she um, had ordered the book because oh, she what? said, I want to know more. And so it really helps for like, I'm with the kids for three hours. But I can't possibly tell them everything they need to know in three hours. No. And so it really helps to have a resource for them to, you know, go and read more, learn more. But I'll tell you the biggest shock that I've had is how many guys have bought the book. 
Interesting. And part of it is because they want to know if I got the secrets right. Oh, okay. <laughs> and mom started buying the book for their, for their sons after they heard me speak. And part of the, like one of the secrets is the very last secret, and I kept it for the last, so I'll reveal one of my seven secrets, is they will wait if you will. And so the book has over 100 letters included in the book from teenagers. And so what the mom started saying is, I want my son to read your book so we can remove the pressure that he feels because he thinks everybody's doing it. So oh, wow. I want him to read the letters from the guys who are oh, yeah. saying, I want to be a protector and not a predator. You know, oh, yeah. so that that has been my biggest shock is how it has resonated with teen boys. And I wrote it for teen girls. Yeah. And, you know, teen boys are feeling other kinds of pressures because their friends right. are lying, saying they're, saying they're doing things that they're not doing. Right, right. Because they want to look cool. Yep. <laughs> very, very, very common. So things have not changed. <laughs> no, they have not. You know, my my kids sometimes make comments about, you know, things that I say or do. And I reminisce every once in a while about what things were like when I was younger. You know, they talk about, oh, yeah, you know, when they only had three channels on TV and you know, all this kind <laughs> of stuff. It's like when I was a teenager, there was cable TV, believe it or not. It was color, the whole thing. But um uh, I also told them that's when, you know, MTV just started and, and they're just like, what? Of course. Right. They course, can't then, it never was. Oh, yeah. Back then, of course, MTV actually was music television. It wasn't reality television that it is now. Right. Right. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, so now when did you write Seven Secrets? I wrote Seven Secrets in 2016. Okay. 2016. And then your newest book, The Truth About Sex. Now that came out in 2021. Is that right? Uh, 2022, February. So it oh, it just came out. out. Yeah, it just came out this year. Um, I think I did some I pre-orders the end of December, but the official launch date was February 2022. Okay, gotcha. Now tell us more about that one and how it's different than Seven Secrets. So the subtitle for The Truth About Sex is Real Stories from Teen Guys Like You. And one of the reasons that I wrote the one for boys well, a couple of reasons. One is when I read excerpts from the Seven Secrets book in the classroom and the guys started saying, where's our book? Oh. <laughs> you know, well, initially they started saying, what about the girls' secrets? And the girls were like, well, that were like we don't have secrets. We're an open book. And, you know, that's debatable. But, um, <laughs> but like you said, one of the things that guys, um, the pressure that they have is the fact that a lot of their peers are lying about what they're doing in their relationships. Mm -hmm. But then mom started. So when the pandemic happened, you know, talk about the impact and revenue, like when you're going into the schools and schools I can't right even imagine. And I mean, you know, I from something to almost nothing. So yeah. And I was like, wow. And it's, it's crazy because I just met a girl at a high school that was a, I know at this high school, I normally speak to ninth graders in their health. So I speak to about 800 ninth graders during the year because they all take health in the ninth grade. And I met a young lady who had, um, she was a sophomore and mm. she comes up to me after I'm leaving the school and she's like, oh my God, Jackie Burton, is that you? And I'm like, uh, yeah, were you in my class? And she said, no, but I've read your book. And she said, I didn't even know you came to my school. And it's because there was a whole year of ninth graders that didn't hear me. Because of the oh, pandemic. Yeah. And so um, let's, when things shut down, I had to figure out a way to still reach kids. So I ended up doing a Seven Secrets Masterclass, which was a virtual academy where I went through all seven of the chapters. And it was actually eight weeks because the last one was a Q&A. 
And I opened it up where I brought guests in. I had about 15 guests where I interviewed couples. I interviewed teenage boys. So they didn't get to just read the book, but they also got to hear videos and watch videos. And um, so the, and I had people from uh, 11, no, 13 states and the United Kingdom. And so they came on every twice a week at eight o'clock at night for, for eight sessions. Well, then mom started saying, well, I have a son and I want my son to hear the same information that my daughter just heard. Like, when are you going to do something for boys? Because up to this point, you know how you got to figure out an avatar. And so everybody, initially when I started my blog, I spoke to parents about their teen girls and teen boys. And then people were like, no, you got to focus. You can't reach everybody. So then my blog was for parents of teen girls. And um, so I kind of left the boys to the side. But then the mom started saying, but my son needs this information. So then I did a masterclass last fall called Boys to Men. And it was five sessions. And um, then I decided to put it in a book. And so the difference between the girl's book and the boy's book is the boy's book has two different sections. And it's the 10, 10 reasons why teen guys have told me they choose to have sex and 10 reasons why they cho- told me they chose not to have sex. And in, so it's 20 chapters. The other thing that had to be different is people kept saying boys don't like to read. And so I don't know how you're going to, I mean, I had people discourage me for writing a book for boys because they say boys don't read. So I knew that the chapters had to be smaller, shorter. And, um, you know, things like the font was bigger and, you know, I have to kind of trick them that this is not, um, you're not making a huge commitment here. And um, at the end of each one of the five, 20 chapters, I have five self-reflection questions. So the book for boys is ideal for mentoring programs, youth groups, because there are, it, you could basically use it as a 20 week curriculum to have this conversation that a lot of parents and adults don't like to have with mm. um, with teenagers, but it also includes letters from other teens. And that's very powerful, even in the classroom, is them getting to hear from their peers stuff that they would never tell them because the no- letters are all anonymous. So I get sure. the real deal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm, uh, I'm curious, when you heard the feedback that boys don't like to read, which again, is a bit of a misnomer because there are some who do, me, but... <laughs> Uh, now, when I was a teenager, I will say that I wasn't the reader that I am now. That's very right. true. Uh, now, is the book available in audio form? That is a plan. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I was going to record it, and then I ended up having some minor surgery, and I never got back to it. But that that is a plan to get it in audio form as well. Okay. I was just curious more than anything. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That was, that was my original plan. I just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to, Jackie doesn't know I'm going to do this, folks. So I'm, I'm springing something on her right now. I'm throwing this out for those of you who are either watching or listening this particular episode and you've gotten this far in. So, I mean, you had to be committed to be into this particular episode. I'm going to say this. If you're interested in getting an autographed copy of either one of her books, if you, the one that's more geared toward the girls or one that's more geared toward the guys, if that's of interest to you, this is what you need to do. You need to take your handy-dandy phone where you're listening to the podcast on. You need to take a screenshot of it. You have to tag Jackie, and you have to tag me. Post it on Instagram, and if you do that, the first person who does, you let me know. I'll see it on there, and then you t- I'll communicate with you. You let me know which one's of interest to you. It's on me. I will cover the cost for it. You give me your mailing address, and I'll be sure that Jackie knows. She'll get it signed and sent to you. Oh, wow. Thank you for doing that. That's so sweet. That's my pleasure. It's it's a way to help promote what Jackie's doing because I believe in what she's doing. 
and it's a way to help the listeners because I believe in our listeners as well. So uh, well, it's something that I like to do. In fact, Jackie, I, I don't mind sharing this. I've shared it on the podcast many, many times before. One of the things that used to frustrate me uh, going back almost five years now, as I mentioned, I am an avid reader and I would get these books and I get very excited when I read and I tell people about them. I just, I do. I can't not say something. Well, invariably, people that I know will hear that from me and want to read the book. Well, they don't necessarily have access to the book right away. And I would just hand them my copy and say, here, read the book. Well, as you might imagine, very rarely was that book coming back. Right. And I was getting frustrated with that. And so I don't know why it took me so long to figure it out, but I finally figured it out, Jackie. I figured out why put myself through that. So for the last four years or so, anytime I get a book, I buy a minimum of two copies. Wow. One for me that I keep and one that I already know I'm going to give away. And I will tell you that when I started doing that, not only did my frustration level go down, but I know at least one of the books that I gave away had up until this was two years ago, had been passed along at least seven times. Wow. Yeah. And, and of course, that's to people I never knew. And so it had an impact with at least that many people. I mean, who knows how many more? And that's, and that's why I tell people all the time, like, look, here's the book. It's yours to do with it what you want. I said, read it. And if you don't want to keep it, I said, then pass it along. Because I, I tell people, I don't want it back. And so I'd, I'd rather get read by lots of people than just sit on yeah. your shelf and do nothing. That is so smart. I can't tell you. I've been in that same situation. How many books I have loaned to other people and never gotten back. And I've even forgotten about some of them until years later when I'm like, what happened to that book? Let me go reread that book. And it's like, oh, they never they, they never gave it back. So really smart. I'm going to have to try that. I, you know, it's uh, I don't think it's an original idea with me. So please use it. I will. All right. So I, I've been wondering this now. I, I think I know the answer to this question, but it's it will lead to a second question. So I will ask this. And this is going to sound like a strange question, and I don't mean it in a weird way, but I don't know how else to ask. Are you married? <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay, so you're not married, and do you have children? I do not. Okay, do you see where I'm going with this right now? Yeah. Well, I've got this woman who is, who is a, an expert in teenagers who isn't married and doesn't have kids. Do you ever get pushback because of that? You know what? I Because um, I do parent workshops as well. And one <laughs> of the things I tell the parents in the workshops is... Though I don't have kids, I probably know more about kids than most parents in the audience. Because I'm not their parent, because I'm not their parents, like they tell me things that they would never tell their parents. I mean, I just I just spoke with a group of um, there were five uh, guys after a high school class that chose to spend their lunch with me. So for 30 minutes and and they would they one guy was telling me about some poor choices he was making. He's like, I'm. I'm telling you this because I feel like I can trust you. And another guy said, we can't have conversations like this with our parents because they will judge us and said, we really feel like you're not going to judge us based on what we tell you. And so the fact that, you know, a parent has one child or two or how many ever, and you find somebody who's spoken to hundreds of thousands and, you know, it's like I'm hearing things that they would never tell their parents. So I tell them, you know, I think I'm probably in a pretty good spot. To understand teenagers, even without having teenagers. Agreed. Oh, I, I don't dispute that at all. I just wondered if you had ever received any sort of pushback because, you know, for some people, they feel like there needs to be validation for what you, not you specifically, but right, you right, as right. whoever. Um, it's like, you know, 
What makes you an authority to be able to talk? I mean, you, I'm sure you've heard stuff like that. I know. I yeah, you know what? I I um I think I kind of at the beginning of any parent workshop that I do, I think I I put it out there in a way that I don't really hear as much pushback as you probably would imagine. Um, and I tell people too that I'm the youngest of ten and I have 31 nieces and nephews. So, <laughs> wow. I um I feel like that uh I have teenagers or I've had teenagers because I was the cool aunt that you know they all came to and I was the one that the the my my siblings would come complaining about their kids and the kids would come complaining about their parents <laughs> and I was the one in the middle like trying to like mm. maneuver everything between the two. <laughs> wow, you said you're one of ten. Yes, the youngest of ten. Youngest of ten. What your mother. Wow. Yeah. And my father died when I was four. So here my mom, her husband dies and she has all these kids. So she was an incredible, she passed away three years ago, but she was an incredible woman. Um, and and because there was a 17 year age difference between the youngest and the oldest, you know, it was the older one stepped in. So it ended up, I mean, I, 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 I love being a part of a huge family. Oh, good for you. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know anything like that. So, but, uh, yeah, I've heard that. Fun. I've I've heard that it's it's very much a different kind of dynamic if you have a big family. Yeah, we did some amazing like all family vacations where we rent a cabin with twelve bedrooms and everybody comes. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're a really close family as well, so it really helps. Again, something I know nothing about. So okay, <laughs> good, good. All right, so let's. Um, I want to talk for a brief moment before we jump into the relationship side of things. Not that we haven't touched on that because we have. But I want to talk a little bit about your speaking company. Uh, it's, and you're going to have to say it for me because I, I read it. And it's like, is it is it Motivationed? Is that what it's called? Motivation Inc.? It's Motivation in 3D. And so motivation the 3D, in, okay. See, yeah, motiv motivation, motivation in 3D. 3D. And the 3D stands for Dreams, Decisions, and Destiny. So my kind of tagline is empowering teens to dream bigger dreams, make better decisions, and fulfill brighter destinies. So that's kind of where the, the 3Ds come in there. Okay. Now, in that particular company that you created, now, is it just you that's doing the speaking or do you have like a team of people? So um, it has been just me for, I've had it for 20 years. Well, actually, the the Motivation Speaking Company is probably only about 16 years old. Um, and so it, typically it's just been me, but now I have one other person that kind of contracts under me. When we go into middle schools, we separate the classes and I talk to the girls. He talks to the guys. So he kind of is a contractor for my company. But yeah, it has an I I started out like with a bunch of mentees who were started out as high school students and they got to be their 20s. And I was going to train them to be speakers. And a lot of them did speak with me, but they've kind of most of them have gone in different directions. So gotcha. I still need to figure out a way to reproduce myself, though. So I'm I'm going to start because <laughs> I can't. I'm not going to be cool with the kids forever. I recognize that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm surprised I'm cool sure. now. I, I'm surprised <laughs> I'm cool now, but. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you're very cool. I know the kids probably really enjoy listening to what you have to say. So our podcast here is called Relationships and Revenue. And so as you might imagine, uh, we talk about all different kinds of things related to both. And one of the things that I like to do, Jackie, is I like to bring in people who are great at both, who are great at the relationship side of things, meaning 
they have figured out how to work on and improve their most significant relationships at home or with those with whom they hold the tightest connections and are able to translate that into their business lives. So my question to you is this, what is it that you're doing right now to work on, to improve, to make better your most significant relationships? And how do those relationships impact your business? Oh, that's a, um, that's a good question. Not one that I've thought about a lot before. Um, I think, I think the thing is like being a good listener. And I think I've, you know, you have that in your personal relationships, but I think that translates over to how I have relationships with the kids, which is one of the things that makes me like, I think so effective is because they say that like they could tell me anything. They're a good listener. And so I think that translates over to how I am in my personal life mm -hmm. as well. And I think that transfers over to uh, the kids, which how that translates to revenue is this, the schools that I go in who've paid me for years say, you can't argue with the kids because of the feedback that they get from the kids. Because I do a pre and post test and the kids write, you know, a paragraph at the end of their post test about the impact and all this stuff. And so that's one of the things they say is so it translates to me continuing to get more business because of how the kids respond to me. And they respond to me that way because of how I am in my personal life. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. What is one habit that you believe I'm going to, I'm going to take it from two different perspectives. So we are talking about habits, but what, what is one habit that you believe every, we'll say mentor needs to have? And what is one habit that you believe every teen needs to have? A habit, a habit. Hmm. Um, wow. I promise I wasn't trying to stump you. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I can, it's narrowing it down to one, um, well, give me a top three then. How's that, if that helps? Well, I think I think it's, one is the whole gratitude. Because I think, and I think for, for adults or mentors, they need to be grateful for what, you know, practicing gratitude. And whether that is writing down three things you're grateful for at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, I think that's uh, really important for mentors and for teens. Because one of the things, especially for teens, is with social media, like there's this whole comparison. And I talk about this a lot with teens that they compare what happens on the inside of their house to what they see on somebody else's outside. And that's not a fair comparison. And so they're thinking my life is horrible and everybody else has a wonderful life. And so I talk to them about, you know, being grateful for what you have and understanding that the thing that you have or even the things that you don't have, you, you wish you had that you don't or you have and you don't like, somebody else would love to have those things. And the thing that you feel like you don't have because you think everybody else has it, half those people don't have that either. <laughs> you know, and that's one of my things about with kids, the whole social media, I think has just caused, and, and there are studies that say it increase, decreases self-esteem for, you know, teen girls, the more time they spend on social media. It's this whole thinking that everybody else has this wonderful life and they don't. So I think the whole practicing gratitude is probably... Probably the, the the number one. Okay, yeah, that's that's definitely one of the one of my top habits that I have. Uh, I actually practice it in two ways every day. I I say them out loud and I write them. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's it's helpful for me because uh, the voice I hear most often is my own, and yeah. so it's important it's important to me to hear me say those because if I'm saying those things, 
then it's much more likely I'm going to believe those things. Right. Right. Absolutely. But if I just write them down, it doesn't always get in and start to percolate like it's supposed to. So that's, right. that's something that's been more recent, like in the last 18 months I've started doing was adding the verbalizing it as well as writing it down part. Yeah. And I think the I think they both serve two different purposes because the writing it down is like it's always good to go back and read like where you were a year ago and the things that you were grateful for a year ago or however long ago. And if you're just if you're just saying them out loud, if your memory is anything like mine, <laughs> then a year later, you might not remember that you were grateful for that thing. But I love the fact that the saying them out loud also is also important for the for the moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and 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 tied in with that, that writing down of the things you're grateful for reminds me of a it's a related habit, but it is different. And that is this whole idea of journaling Mm. and how important it is. And I know, see, that's one thing I know I get pushback from guys on that all the time about journaling. It's like, oh, man, you're talking about like writing a diary. It's like, first of all, no, I'm not. It's like, however, if that's what it takes to get you to write it down, to think of it that way, okay. It's like, but there's a reason to do that. And I, I told him about my very first experience, Jackie, writing stuff down. I, I was in a terrible place in my life. I was in the midst of my divorce. My divorce was finalized April 1st, 2010. Not making that up. It really was April 1st. And I was the fool that day. I can promise you that. And but that's a story for another time. <laughs> um, but my uh, when I was in the middle of, of going through all that, I was receiving some some therapy and some counseling and I was a part of some groups and one of the things that we had to do in one of these groups is we had to be writing stuff down every single day um I actually went through an exercise uh it's actually an exercise that I've tweaked adapted and I use in my coaching and teaching with men it's um it's 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 simple when I say it now but it wasn't at the time because I'd never done it before so I would start out writing things like you, the first thing you start writing out is today I feel, and you can't use words like good, great, or okay, because they're not specific enough. Mm-hmm. So as an example, I would write down today, I feel excited. And then I would say, why? Because I'm interviewing Jackie Bruton. And as soon as you write that down, the very next thing you write down is the first time I remember feeling excited was when I was four years old and we were moving from our very first house to our first big house. Of course, when you're four years old, everything looks big, Right, but- <laughs> I was, I was helping us move and I got to carry some boxes, you know, for how much help are you really at moving? You're just kind of in the way more than anything. But so what that told me is I had a feeling other than I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm mad. And this wasn't the first time I felt it, which is very important for men because that's what most men believe that the, the realm of feelings and emotions are not ours, that it is the domain of the female. That's because we've been sold a lie, right? first and foremost. Um, and I just tell guys all the time, look, this is a skill set. That's all it is. It's something you can learn. And if this was your job and your boss, or if you own your own business, if your client tells you, hey, we're going in a new direction, you got to know this by this date. If you don't know it, you're either fired or we're leaving. Your decision, what would you do? You would learn the skill. Well, your most important relationships are way more important than any job. Way more important. Yeah. So learning these things are important. So that's part of the process, writing that down. Uh, another thing that you write down is you write down one thing you've done well for the day. And I, I give guys an out. There is an out in this. 
if they haven't done anything well or they can't think of anything they've done well, they can write down they brush their teeth well as long as that's true. <laughs> Honest to goodness, Jackie, the first six months I did this exercise, that was the only thing I wrote down that I did well. Oh, wow. I, I wish I was joking about that. I'm not. After writing that down, and depending upon the audience that I'm speaking to, if it's a faith-based audience, I have a certain direction I go. If it's not a faith-based audience, I have a slightly right. different direction I go. But for the most part, what I say is I have them read a psalm for the day and write down anything that jumps off at the page of them, even if it doesn't make sense to them. They just write it down and then have them write out a prayer for the day. If that's not a faith-based group, I have them read a passage from an inspirational book to them. And then write down an inspirational thought for the day. Oh, okay. And that's, and that's what they do. Uh, the whole purpose of doing that, again, is to help men begin to realize that whole feeling side of things, to understand there is more to them than meets the eye. And the biggest part of that is to help identify what's going on inside of them and then how to process through that stuff without doing it in detrimental ways. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's... that's Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was I was finished. No, I think I think that's important. And I think the younger that men or boys learn that, the better. And so we always get into this discussion in the classroom with the girls complaining about the boys, the fact that boys are not emotional and that they don't have any emotional consequences or from, you know, making poor choices when it comes to relationships and sex. And so. I always like to have that whole conversation about the fact that we socialize them to not show their emotions, but it doesn't mean that they don't have emotions. And I can always tell that the boys in the class like really, really appreciate me as they would say it, taking their side. <laughs> oh, but I, I, I do think that the sooner they learn it, the better. Oh, and, you know, unfortunately, I learned that particular skill. Uh, I was... 39 when I learned that. Oh, wow. So I've, I've been practicing it since I was 39. Now, see, I don't have to write it out now. This is something I can do cognitively in my head in the moment when it happened. Uh, but that was an exercise I did for a year to get me oh, to the wow. point where I could be able to identify stuff because it really does take a while to get that kind of thing ingrained in a guy to really get that figured out. It, it, I can't begin to tell you the number of conversations that I've had with men who, especially guys who are married, who who say, you know, I can't figure out what's going on, that what's wrong in our relationship. I'm like, really? I can see it clear as a bell. Now, truth be told, when I was married, I couldn't see it either. Yeah. But that was because I had to do the hard work of working through my junk and what was going on with me and the things that I did wrong and what I caused wrong in my marriage. Um, the reason for, there are a multitude of reasons for my divorce, none of them were because of the marriage, meaning there's nothing wrong with the institution of marriage. The problem was ours, not marriage. Yeah, I am the most pro-marriage divorce guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> For sure. And, and in fact, I mean, I still perform wedding ceremonies. I've been doing that since 1992. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because the last middle school where I taught eighth grade girls, I cannot tell you how many of those girls were anti-marriage because their parents got divorced. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, it's... It, it it breaks my heart. And that's one thing that I tell them, don't give up on the institution just because you didn't see it work with your parents. And I said, as much as you feel like you were hurt by their choice, don't allow that choice to hurt you even more in the future by saying, I don't believe in love. 
I don't believe in marriage. I don't believe, you know. And so mm-hmm. um, so it's interesting that you would say you're the most pro-marriage divorce person. <laughs> but I also, going back to the whole emotion things, one of the things I think, and hopefully we can get this to, to girls at an early age, because I think sometimes men and boys don't show their emotions because of how it's received by girl, by the, the, the female or the, or the, and so, because they'll say, oh, he's too soft or he, if, if they find a guy that does show his emotions, oh, he's too soft. He's too whatever. And I'm like, so you're perpetu- perpe- per- perpetuating, you're perpetuating what you say you're, you're going to complain about later on when you get married you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're perpetuating it as teenagers because the the guys who are emotional and you're calling them soft and you're not attracted to them. It's, it's this whole thing. We have a lot of work to do with uh, teenagers so that they mm-hmm. can get it right for when they become adults. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, um, it's one of the things that, that I work on uh, with men all the time is because I get that pushback from them. Uh, For instance, one of the things that I tell uh, men often, because after they get married, I I have created something, Jackie, called the F6 formula. It's the six areas of a man's life he tends to struggle in, especially after he gets married. Uh, Those happen to be faith, fashion, fitness, food, friendship, and fun. Those six areas. Hmm. And one of the things that I talk often about is this whole idea of dating, especially after you get married, because that's something I was terrible at when I was married, because if we went out on dates, and that's a big if, she did it. She figured out what we were doing, where we were going. She planned everything, and all I had to do was show up. That was it. And I tell men all the time, that ends today. You own that now. It is your job to do it. You figure out what you're doing, where you're going, make sure the kids are, and I emphasize this, properly taken care of. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't say that to men, They're going to plop them down in front of the TV with whatever streaming service happens to be on, throw some kind of food at them. And of course, what they throw at them really isn't food. It's really chemicals disguised as food, but that's a different discussion. (laughs) And say, we're good, let's go. In addition to the fact that men will push back and say, well, John, you don't understand. When we were dating, you know, we went on these elaborate dates and we have these things. And now, you know, we're married. We've got this one pool of money and she'll know how much money I spent. And I say, whoa, 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 hold on. She's not an idiot. She knows exactly how much money you spent on that day. It's never been about the money. She doesn't care about that. What she cares about is spending time with you. But if you really are a cheapskate, I give them two ideas right off the bat, Jack. It's like, I'll give you one that's free and one that costs you a dollar. Here's your free idea. Again, making sure the children are taken care of, if they have them, that the children are taken care of, go for a leisurely walk in your neighborhood. So this is not a workout. It's a leisurely walk where you guys can walk, be together, hold hands, and you can talk. But you do not talk about the children. You don't talk about the bills. You don't talk about the other stuff that's coming up. You talk about your hopes, your dreams. But more specifically, you're asking her about her hopes and her dreams. What I've discovered, Jackie, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. In a relationship for men to share what's going on with them on the inside is the relational oxygen that women need. They need that to breathe, to live, to exist in that relationship. If you don't give that to them, you are killing them. Yeah, I agree. That's that's the perspective that I come from. And I try and I kind of almost oversell it when I'm talking to guys, because that's almost what it takes to get through. Because truthfully, Jackie, what I see. Oh, the second idea. So I, I don't want to leave you hanging. So there was a second idea. That was the free one. The one that costs a dollar. 
go to McDonald's, go through the drive through get a soft serve cone and share it. <laughs> Again, it doesn't, it's not about the money right. you spend. It's about the time to get right. it. That's what's important. And I'm sure you can remember a time when we used to have actual planners where, where we actually wrote stuff down and what we were going to do. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, my planner was always filled and I kept a pencil in my planner. I had a pencil and a pen, but I used the pencil most of the time because there were things I had to erase, take out, and then add back in. Things that were written in pen didn't come off the calendar. Date, night, date, day, whatever it is for the couple, that is written in pen. We plan everything else around that. So good. Tell them so that's good. how important it is. Yeah. So you have to do that. You absolutely have to do that. And these are things that I wished I had known when I was a teen. I wished that I had known. I wished I had somebody who could have guided me through that to teach me that. Because certainly my dad didn't. I, I'm laughing because it hurts, honestly, because otherwise I'll cry. So. Wow. Yeah. And so that's that's one of the things that I try to do. And, and, and one of the things that I will say to the teenagers when they complain about their parents' choices that impacted them is I said, what you have to understand is your parents never had relationship education when they were teenagers. And I said, so, you know, nobody prepared them to deal with what they're dealing with, what they dealt with as an adult. You're in a different spot. Like they would love, just like you've said already, you would have loved for somebody to have had these conversations with you when you were a teenager. And so I think hopefully we're setting them up to be more successful as adults in their relationships based on what they're learning when they're teenagers about relationships. Okay. Well, Jackie, I, I don't mind sharing this little story with you because I, I think you'll find it both humorous and sad at the same time. I'm going to share the story of the sex talk I got from my dad. Here it is. It, it was not long. I had, I had my first official date when I was in the seventh grade. He was going to take me to the mall to meet my then girlfriend. And we were, I think we we're going to the movies or something. I, it doesn't matter what we were doing, but he was going to take me to the mall. So I'm getting ready. He has me sit down on the bed. He sits next to me, which made it very creepy and weird but it was. And he just says, look, I know you're getting ready to go out with this girl. I want you to have a good time and don't get her pregnant. That is the only thing he ever told me. Only thing. We never that does, that does not surprise me at all. And unfortunately, things have not changed that much based on what teenagers <laughs> are telling me. I mean, I, I'd hate, I hate to say it, but and a lot of them will say, I'd ask the students, how many of you have had the sex talk with your parents? Rarely will more than 50% of the kids raise their hand. That's just having the talk. And right. then when I say, what was the talk? Then you get into the kind of conversation that you just had about. They just said, you know, if you get somebody pregnant, I'm putting you out. Or if you get pregnant, I'm going to put you out. Or I'm going to, you know, that's the extent of what these kids are being told. So things have not changed that much. Yeah. And that's not so much of a talk, really. Right. Not so much. Yeah. You know, I, what, what, I, what I tried to do for my son First of all, when we started down that road, he did not want to talk about it at all. And so I'm like, okay, so I back off, you know, and I, then I start to approach it. You know, it seems like he's starting to have questions. So I try to answer questions along the way. And so we, our conversation was more of like an ongoing dialogue. As that's, that's really, yeah. And that's kind of how it was. So what, what I tried to do, what I tried to do was approach him with this idea that, and I didn't say this to him, but once I got that really big pushback from him in the beginning, it's like, whoa, dad, I'm not ready for that. I know we had the thing at school that they told us. And, and it basically, it kind of grossed him out. And he didn't really want to talk about it. And I'm like, okay, 
you're not ready for that, and that's fine. And the girls weren't gross to him, but he wasn't really into them at the time. And so I kind of just tried to pay attention and ask questions that I think he was thinking about at the time. And as I started to do that more, then it made it easier for him to ask the questions. But I only answered the questions he asked. I didn't go any further than that until he got to be old enough where I knew he was hearing about stuff. It's like, okay, Ethan, I know this is uncomfortable for you, but there are some things we have to talk about. I said, because I don't want you to get in a situation where you're surprised by something that happens. So you just need to know that. And he didn't really date a lot in high school. I mean, he has a girlfriend now, but he's in college. Um, so we had some things that we covered and the girls, <clears throat> their mom supposedly talked to them, but honestly, my youngest, she probably talks to me more about stuff like that than she does her mom. And I try to redirect her toward her mom. So I don't, I don't want to step on her toes. You know, I'm not interested in that. You know, I view my job, Jackie, honestly, and this is kind of a strange thing. I've never heard anybody else say this after they've gotten divorced. I view my job. In this relationship, this business relationship I have with my ex-wife, the business being the children, mm -hmm. to try and encourage my kids to have the absolute best relationship they can have with their mom. No matter what she says about me, I still continue to do that to this day because I don't care what she says about me. It doesn't hurt me anymore. But helping them have a great relationship with their mom is very important to me because I, I have seen far too many divorced parents say some horrible and nasty things about each other to their children. And I'm not okay with it. I'm not. So I don't do that. So I don't care what she does. This is what I do because I think it's the right thing to do. And, and kudos to you for doing that. And it's, it's so interesting because a friend, when she got divorced, she said, same thing, she would never say anything negative about her ex-husband. And she defended him even when she knew he was wrong. You know, like if he said he was mm -hmm. going to come and pick the kids up and he didn't, she would come up with an excuse so that he always looked good in their eyes. And she said that when her kids got grown, she said, because I knew they would see for themselves the negative parts of their, you know, my ex-husband's life. And I wasn't, I shouldn't be the one to tell them. And she said, even when they got grown, they came back to her and told her how much they respected her and loved her because she never said anything negative about their dad. And they said, now that we look back, we saw how you even lied to protect him so that we wouldn't be hurt. And they, they really, really appreciated that. And I think that's rare to have uh, somebody do what you're doing. I, I mean, I applaud you for it. And I think, it's, I think it's very important. And I think the right thing to do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, the interesting thing, and I, to be honest, I don't know that I've told anybody this before. So here you go, folks. I'm revealing something for the very first time ever on the podcast. My stance in how I relate to my ex-wife cost me a relationship after our divorce. Mm. It cost me a relationship in the sense that the woman I was dating at the time thought that my ex-wife was, um, what's the right word? Walking all over me, taking advantage of me because she would, something would happen and I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't give pushback on it just because I didn't think it was the right thing to do. But to me, I see that as you're taking the high road and doing what's best for the kids. And I think that, I think that's rare. I, I don't, I shouldn't, I don't know how rare it is. I don't think that always happens where divorced couples will put their kids' best interests even in front of their own feelings. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that does not happen very often. Um, 
you know, one, one of the interesting things about having gone through a divorce is when I put the work in to try and get better for me, that was my pain. But I have found, Jackie, and you've probably seen this happen as well, pain, if you allow it, it can lead you to your purpose. Absolutely. And ultimately to your platform. Yep. And that's definitely what happened for me. My pain led to my purpose, which led to my platform. Yep. I can see that. Definitely. Okay. Well, we're coming up to wrap up time here. But before we do, Jackie, somebody wants to find you, wants to get in contact with you, wants to hire you. Where's the best place for folks to find you? My website is JackieBruton.com. Um, on Instagram, I'm Jackie B Speaks. Um, on all other pl platforms, I'm just Jackie Bruton, like Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, it's just Jackie Bruton and Facebook. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Now, as I mentioned to you before we started, we have a final four. We're going to go through those. It's just four quick questions. You just tell me the first thing that pops in your head. Okay? Okay. All right. Question one. Why did God create Jackie? God created me to, and I truly believe this, um, to leave the world better, better off than I found it. And my portion of that is by impacting the lives of teens so that the next generation will not have to go through what many of them have gone through. Love that. Love that. Question two. What are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? Um, the Bible. Okay. Yeah, I'm on a, I'm on, and I've done this before, but I've gone back through this year, read the Bible in a year. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm diving into that. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Maybe when we're done, I'll, I'll share an idea with, I have with you about that. Okay. Uh, question three, what do you do for fun? Pre-COVID? <laughs> Pre-COVID was travel. Um, okay. Pre-COVID was travel. You can I, travel I, a little bit now. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still do. I do more local stuff now, um, but I love international travel. Um, okay. <laughs> and I love to read. Unfortunately, I haven't had a lot of time to do it, but uh, mm -hmm. lately, just because I've been so busy, but traveling, um, reading, and eating. <laughs> Is there a favorite food? Oh my goodness, ice cream. Yeah? Ice cream, definitely. And I can tell you my favorite brand in every, my favorite uh, in every brand, Haagen-Dazs, Ben & Jerry's, I have a favorite one in each one. <laughs> really? Okay. I'm hoping they have ice cream in heaven. <laughs> I like that. I like that. What are you most grateful for? Um, I am most grateful for my family. Yeah, definitely my family. Love that. And I got a couple really quick bonus questions. What's the last book that you read? Who the last book that I read? Your own books do not count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'm, somebody said, have you read them? And I was like, not since I sent them to the publisher. I'm like, ugh. I'm sick of it by then. Um, the last book that I read, I told you I haven't had a chance to read a book lately. Um, yeah. Oh, it was by up. Priscilla Shira about uh, Elijah. Okay. Um, I can't think of the title, but it was a, a book about Elijah by Priscilla Shira. Shira. Okay. And what podcast do you check out most often? Other than this one, of course. Um, I'm, I'm doing more mainly parenting podcasts. You know, for parents of teens. So there's some like moms of teens, parents, um, just so I can, just so I can like figure out what other questions are out there. Like I use them a lot to decide what I'm going to write a blog post about to get what, what are okay. the questions and the things that moms of teen girls are specifically struggling with. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Well, listen, Jackie, I really appreciate your time today. 
you know, the, the honesty, the stories that you've shared with us about what's going on in your world and what you're doing. I want you to know that what you're doing is important. It's very important. I don't feel like I can emphasize that enough. In fact, I saw a post that you put out recently. There's something special about the month of April related to what you do. Would you remind us what is so special about April and what we need to be paying attention to? April is Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. And um, ah, this topic just really breaks my heart when I think about how many teen girls and teen boys, um, I get more letters from teen girls about sexual assault that's happened in the past than I do teen boys. And I think it's because it's more acceptable for teen girls to talk about it than it is for teen boys. Yep. I mean, it's another one of those, another one of those things that culturally we've, we've made stuff not acceptable for boys to talk about. But I would say to parents, um, you know, statistically, it's say one out of five girls and one out of six boys by the age of 18 will have been sexually assaulted. And many times it's at the hands of a family member, or a family friend. It's not always on a, in a dating situation. It's when they're younger. And I see so many poor choices being made by teenagers because they're medicating pain from trauma that they've never reported or been treated for. And so I always tell, there's a quote that now I won't get it right. And it's by um, Ashley, I can't give her name. It says, um, instead of focusing on the behavior, when you, uh, every behavior is caused based on the feeling and the feeling is because of the need. And if we would get to the, if we would focus on the need instead of the behavior, we could get to the cause and not the symptom. Now that's paraphrasing it. But um, I just think that I would, uh, I would challenge every parent of a teenager, if you see poor choices being made, try to get to the root cause and not focusing on the behavior. Because, and I would ask the question, and don't assume that nothing has ever happened to your child just because you can't think of a time when it could have happened. You'd be amazed. For sure. For sure. Okay. Well, I, want, I didn't want to let our time slip away and not at least mention that for the, the month of April and how important it is to be paying attention to that topic. Uh, not, it's not just for teenagers, but it certainly applies to teenagers. Yeah, I appreciate you acknowledging that because we've got to get more, um, more exposure to the problem for us to like, get a handle on it because it is truly out of control. Yeah, we got to make sure it's okay to talk about on right. a regular basis. You know, if it's okay to talk about domestic violence, because, you know, we have a domestic violence awareness month as well. Right. This is, it's in the same kind of vein, but it is separate. So it's important for us to talk about for sure. And I, I think it's even more important for me as a man to be talking about it as well. It's like, look, let's take some stigma out of this. Right. Let's bring it out into the open. That's the only way anything gets resolved. We Leaving it in the dark doesn't help. Right. We got to bring it out into the light. Right. Absolutely. So thank you for that. You bet. You bet. And Jackie, thank you for your time today. Seriously. It was it was so fun. I really enjoyed spending some time with you. I know that you brought a lot of value to the audience, and I know that they're going to be thrilled to be able to share this little bit of time with you. Well, thank you. It was my absolute pleasure in my Chick-fil-A voice. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Love that. <laughs> and thank you to all of you for tuning in today and for sharing your most precious resource with us, and that is your time, because I know it's not renewable and it means a lot. So you all have a fantastic day, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review 
and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.